um, this morning, and I apologize for the issue with the screen. I know um, when John Mark leads worship, of course, we didn't know that he was leading worship until uh, this morning, um, and so I appreciate you, buddy, for being instant uh, and ready to go. Um, but he often sings songs that, that are not in our normal, uh, you know, lineup, and so uh, made it a little more challenging without without the words, but um, surely some of you recognize some of those songs from uh, some of the current worship albums that are on the radio and Spotify, however you listen to, to music, so amen. Matthew chapter 11 and um, in verse number 28, Jesus says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I know that we were all raised different ways. Um, A lot of us in this room this morning were were raised up in church. And I'm very, very thankful for that in my own life. And I'm very thankful that I was introduced to Jesus at a very early age and, and... um, with the Holy Spirit's help uh, and encouragement, uh, and my parents' help and encouragement, I, I received Jesus as my Savior um, when I was just a child. And, and um, you know, my parents, uh, when I say made us go to church, that's really inaccurate. We, we got to go to church, and, and that was something that was a priority uh, in their lives and, and a commitment that they made. And that carried over into me and my, my brother and my sister's lives. And, and, um, and again, I'm, I'm extremely thankful for that. But along the way, I learned some things about God that were not accurate. I learned some things that I've later in life had to unlearn. And some of the things that I learned were accurate, but they were not the whole story. So you could maybe say they were incomplete, and, and, and we're still all growing and learning and developing. And one of the things that I think has affected the body of Christ in a, in a negative way is that when a lot of us were born again, we were presented the gospel in terms of not going to hell and getting to go to heaven. It was presented to us, Jesus was presented to us, or let me say it this way, he was presented to me as, um, you know, your, your only hope of, of not spending eternity in a devil's hell. And, you know, who wants to go to hell? I mean, nobody, right? And, and so when I received Jesus and came to Jesus, that was kind of the basis upon which I, um, I received him. And so if you take that understanding and go to this verse, you would think that Jesus says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you heaven one day when you die. But that's, that's not the invitation that Jesus has for us. Now, let me go ahead and make it very clear. I believe there is a very real hell that we do not want to go to, and I believe there's a very real heaven that we do want to go to. And if you've been born again, the Bible says you're already seated there with him, with Jesus in those heavenly places. But if I could get a little bit ahead of myself, the moment you received Jesus, you were not instantly transported to heaven. We were left here on this earth as born-again men and women, as the body of Christ, 
we were left here on the earth. As a matter of fact, we see in the 17th chapter of John that Jesus prayed for the disciples and then he prayed for everyone who would believe because the disciples were going to go preach, which includes you and me. He prayed to his father that he would not take us out of the world, but that he would keep us while we're here in this world because we know that father has a purpose for us to fulfill um, while we're here on this earth. If, if, if you had just the slightest understanding of, of how much he longs for you to be with him in heaven this morning, it, it, the desire that he has for you, the longing that he has for you, Jesus even talked about this to his disciples, how much he longed for and desired for the day that they could see him with their eyes in the glory that he's always had from even before the foundations of this earth. And so we see then that there is a very important reason for our lives. And, and we know that, of course, there's purpose and we know that there's assignments and we know that, that we're to tell other people about him and we're to build the kingdom. And, and, and of course, all of these acts of service and all these acts of, of dedication and commitment, again, ext- extremely, extremely important. But I believe there's also other reasons why um, we're here on this earth and why it is that Jesus uh, has left us here. I, I say this often, and I'm going to say it again this morning, things will not always be as they are right now. We sing that, that song, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, about will, will Father dwell with us again? Uh, and, and we know, of course, that there is coming a day when your eyes will see him just like your eyes are seeing me right now. There is, there is coming a day when Jesus will be available for you to hug and for him to hug you. Amen. And, 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 and that is a very real day in our, in our future. And so when I say things will not always be as they are right now, we understand that every, everything that Father does, every season that he does, every, I'm going to use a big word on you now, it's, the big word is dispensation. And a dispensation is, is just simply a, a, a predetermined period of time by God. Amen. For instance, there was the dispensation of the old covenant. There was the dispensation of the Mosaic law. There was the dispensation of animal sacrifices. But we know that all of those uh, uh, seasons and all of the purposes that those things established by God uh, in the past, all, all the purposes that, and, and reasons that those things existed, those, those purposes have been fulfilled. And, and now they, are, they have become obsolete. And, and we live in a new day. We, we live in a day where it's the blood of Jesus, not the blood of animals. The blood of Jesus takes away sin where the blood of an animal only covered it over. And, and, and we see that in, there was a dispensation when only a select group of people had a measure or a portion of the Holy Spirit. But that season is no more. We now live in the season, in the day and in the time where the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh and that, and that young people, old people, children, no matter the background, no matter the, 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 the nationality, can, can not only experience God, but can be filled with the very Spirit of God to the, to the point of, of overflowing. And so, again, these, these dispensations. But, but we know that there is a new day coming. We know that there is another dispensation. There is another time and season that will, that will be ushered in when this particular one, the days of grace, amen, that, that we're now experiencing and living in uh, here upon this earth. And so, so when we look at the purposes for this, it's very easy for us to, to only look at the bigger picture of, 
God's purposes and the building of His kingdom and the preaching of the gospel and, and, and doing those things and, and making disciples and all these acts of, of work and effort and service and sacrifice and giving. And all of those things are, please don't misunderstand me, they are extremely important. They, they are vital. They are critical. So much so to the point that your reward in the next dispensation will be based upon how diligent you were with the assignment that you were given in this one. Amen. But there's something else that I believe is as important. And it comes back to this subject that we've been on now for some time. It comes back to this subject of learning to trust God. Learning to trust Him. Learning to trust Him. And that's, that's what He's talking about here. When He invites us to come into this yoke with Him and, and do life committed to Him, walking alongside Him, so that we can learn from Him. You see, trust is something that we all are capable of doing. You were designed, you were hardwired by God with the ability to trust. And it is something that, that is vital to our, uh, our best life. Amen. In other words, you were created by God to be dependent upon Him. You were also created by God, and I, I know that Sometimes people don't like to hear this, but you were also created by God to be dependent upon other people. What's often referred to as, as that vertical uh, relationship with God and that horizontal relationship with other people. When, when all Adam had was God in the garden, God said to Adam, this is not good. Now you would think if, you know, because you hear people say, all I need is God. Well, that, the Bible, God didn't say that's all you, that he's all you needed. Are you following me this morning? You know, we, we, you know, all, all I need is God. God's all I need. He's all I need. We even sing it. He's all I need. He's all I need. That's, that's not what God said. God said that we need other people. As a matter of fact, how about this? According to Romans chapter 12, to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think is to think that you can fulfill your God-given purpose and destiny on this earth without God and without working together with other people. And so when we talk about this, this dependence upon, this need for God and other people, we see that trust is what facilitates that dependency. In other words, you, it's, it's one thing to be dependent upon God. It's one thing to know that, 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 that you uh, need Him and, and, and need to be dependent upon Him. But just knowing it and recognizing it is not the same in actually being dependent upon Him, actually doing it. Amen. It's just one thing to recognize your need for it. It's another thing to actually, um, you know, pursue a life of depending upon Him and, and placing our trust in Him. Let me, let me, praise God, there's just so much in my heart. It's so full this morning. It was full last Sunday, and, and of course, again, you know, stuff I wanted to share with you then, and now, and now we've got a whole other week of, uh, I don't know, probably six or seven more pages of, of, of things that the Lord's just talked to. He's speaking to me about this. And that is one of the ways, not, not that it's the only way, but it's one of the ways that I know that this is the word that Father God has for us in this season is, is because it's every time I get quiet and still and, and, and just start to meditate on these things, it's just I can't write it down fast enough what he has to say to us about these things. One of the, and this is a strong word. I'm not going to develop this too much, but let me, let me just, just go ahead and tell you, okay? Um, Father has had enough of people loving him but not trusting him. 
And I know that that sounds, he, he's, he's, he's weary of that. And, and I know sometimes we think that, that somehow if you love somebody, that, that automatically means you trust them. And that is absolutely not the case. I have, I have been confused by that in my own life in the past, thinking that, that as a matter of fact, you can't love somebody you don't trust. But, that, but that's, that's not true. You see, we were designed by God to be loved by God and to love God. And we were also designed by God to trust God and to be trusted by God. And, and these two are certainly related, but we, we can't confuse one for the other. Love is what, you know, we express love by giving. We, we express love by serving. We, we, we express love by sacrificing. We, 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 we love. There's no such thing as, as, as an effortless love. Amen. The Bible says if you're going to love in truth, you're going to have to love in deed. Right? And, and so we do all of these things for God. And, and, and we give and we, and we work and we sacrifice and somehow we think that because we're doing all these things for him that th- this somehow equals us trusting him. And it's, it's not the same thing. You see, you can love somebody you don't trust and you can trust somebody you don't love. You can trust somebody you don't even know. Say, Pastor Mark, I just, I disagree with that. Have you ever gotten on a commercial airline? Do you even know that pilot's name? And you just put your life in his hands? Are you seeing what are you, are, you, are you are you following what I'm saying here? You see, we we want to do all of these things for, for God and, and let that somehow be a substitute for us trusting him. You see, when you trust somebody, this is, this is when you yield to them. This is when you surrender your will to their will. This is when, um, you know, you, you actually, uh, you know, to trust God means to allow Him to, to have, uh, you know, input into how you live your life and, and, and the things that, that you do. I've done it. So if, if you've done it, I'm not just trying to point fingers at you or, 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 you know, somehow shame you. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I think we need to, we need to understand this. We need to, our eyes need to be open to this because so many times when it comes to us needing what only trusting God can produce in our lives, we're, we're lacking in the trust department. And so we try to compensate and you say, so listen to me, please. I've caught myself doing it. When you start praying for yourself, you start praying for somebody else. Notice when we don't have that confident trust in God that we need, we start pointing to all the things that we've done for him. We start pointing to how we've served and we've been faithful and we've this and we've that and we've this. And somehow we're wanting that to to become a substitute for trusting him. It's not the same. It's not the same. And so what happens, listen to me please, what happens is... When you love somebody but don't trust them, it, it creates a very shallow relationship. Think about the person in your, in your life that you trust the most. I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about the person in your life that you trust the most. Okay, maybe that's your spouse. Maybe it's a close friend. That you, somebody, I don't know. Just the person in your life that you trust the most. There was, a, there was a time in your life you didn't even know that person. 
How is it that you have come to trust this person as much as you trust that person? I'm offering to you that it's something that has happened over time. It's something that has developed and matured and seasoned over time. Through fellowship, through relationship, through doing life together. I knew from the beginning of this study that there is a, a, an important connection between trusting God and having faith in God. If you go to the original languages, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, the words are not the same. There's different words that speak to trust and there's different words that speak to faith in these original languages. So a lot of times we, we, we use trust in God and faith in God interchangeably, but they're, 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 not, the, they're not the same. Faith is a a measure of a spiritual substance that God has given to you. He's given to every person the measure of faith. And that faith is activated, awakened, and aroused in your life by hearing the Word of God, by hearing something that God says. Faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And so every person has within them the measure of faith. This is why you can go to another nation, another continent, and, 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 and tell somebody about Jesus who's never heard His name a single time and faith will awaken and arouse inside of them to call upon His name and be saved. And we've learned so much about faith and we, and we know that faith will move mountains and we know that faith will make the impossible possible and, we, and, and, and all of these things. But, but here, here, here's the difference, right? Trust comes through experiences. Trust doesn't come by hearing. Trust comes through experiences. And so think about it. It's very difficult to have faith in what someone says if you do not trust that person. See, we're we're trying to believe God before we've learned to trust Him. See, the more you trust somebody, listen to me now, the more you trust somebody, that trust provides the foundation for you to believe what they say to you. Faith is that next step. And because we haven't invested the time with God to, to, to learn to trust Him, we come to situations in our lives where we need to believe Him, but because we don't have, have we, we don't have the trust, uh, in, in who He is, right? Paul said, I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed to Him. See, we, persuaded, Fully persuaded means it's talking about faith. It's, it's, it's defining faith. But notice he said, I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded. We're trying to have the confidence of knowing without having had the experiences of trusting. So he invites us. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is, this, is, this is what it means to learn to trust him. It's to do life together with him. John Mark was, was you know, singing the song about our heart is open and, and we're welcoming him in. We're inviting him in. In other words, where, where Jesus is not an afterthought, the ways of God are not an afterthought, they're the forethought. It's, it's not something that we do if we have time at the end, but we, we invite him into the situation before we even take the first step 
and, and we begin to do life together with Him, this is how we learn to trust Him. He says, come and I'll give, learn, and you will find. Now this word learn, I know some of you have heard me say this so many times, you could, you could come up here and teach it for me. But learn is the word manthano, and it means to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. To put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. Again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Trust only comes through experiencing God. Let me, let me get a sip of water here, praise God. So a few things that we've said along these lines. Let me, let me do a little bit of review and tie some things together here. Week before last, we made this statement. We said, nothing in the Bible that applies to you personally is automatic. Nothing in the Bible that applies to you personally is automatic. Salvation has been provided and given to you, to all humanity. Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So salvation is a gift for every human being. But it's, that doesn't mean every human being is automatically saved, right? Are you with me still? Is it, am I, have, I, have I lost you a few minutes ago? I don't think I have. That doesn't mean every human being is automatically saved. If a man or woman is, is going to receive the gift of salvation that Jesus paid the ultimate price for them to have, they're going to have to hear the gospel and then respond to it and receive it for themselves. Nothing in the Bible that applies to you personally is automatic. Now, we said in modern-day Christianity, we focus more on the benefit of having God in our lives than the process that, that leads to those benefits. This is why we prefer confession over commitment. Now, I don't want you to, please hear me, I'm not trying to confuse you. I have taught and will continue to teach for years to confess the word. Hold fast your confession. Speak to the mountain. All of these things are absolutely 100% solid Bible doctrines, teachings throughout the Bible. All 66 books of the Bible confirm these things, teach these things. Jesus himself on this earth not only taught these things, he modeled these things. He, he spoke to the fig tree. He spoke to fevers. He spoke to demons. He, he confessed that his disciples had believed and received everything he had ever said to them when they were all about to take off running and deny that they even knew him. So he absolutely modeled all of this. And this is an absolutely valid doctrine that every single one of us should be practicing more than we're practicing it right now, even if you were practicing it, uh, uh, you know, at a very high level. But again, so many prefer confession over commitment. We would rather just say and then go on with our lives rather than Invite Jesus into the situation, ask him what he would have us to do, what does your word say about this, and then commit ourselves, commit our works and our ways to the Lord. So we said that Jesus is asking you to take his yoke 
And so many of us are asking him to take our wheel. Now, alongside that, and if, listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to offend you this morning. But along with this whole wrong mindset comes a saying that has become very popular in the body of Christ these days. And that saying goes like this, I'm going to let go and let God. Man, it just sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? I'm going to let go and I'm going to let God. How does that, and it, it maybe would have been a little more impactful if I could have put my picture of the oak on the, on the, uh, matter of fact, why don't, why don't, do y'all mind just turning around real quick and looking on that back wall back there? <laughs> does that look like let go and let God to you? Do you, are you, are you? Are you seeing the disconnect here? We just want to say let go and let God. And Jesus is saying, why don't you come in this yoke beside me and let me show you how to walk through this situation in ultimate victory. You see, the dilemma of trust, we've said this over and over again, I'm going to say it again. The dilemma of trust is the surrender of control. We don't trust God for one reason and one reason only. We don't trust God because we're afraid of what will happen if we do. You can't trust and control at the same time. When Jesus says to you and me, take my yoke upon you, He's inviting us into a commitment with Him. He's inviting us into surrendering to Him. He's inviting us into yielding to Him and letting Him teach us how to trust Him and how to trust God. Listen very carefully to this now. Surrendering to God does not mean taking your hands off, letting go, and giving Him the wheel. When we talk about surrendering a situation to God, when we talk about letting go and letting God, this doesn't mean you're going to wash your hands of a situation. How many times over the years, you know, I, we, we haven't done it since COVID, but I've worked with a lot of families over the years through the foundry that, that have uh, children struggling with addiction, a lot of loved ones that, that, that have, you know, not just in the foundry program, there are people who come to that, to that ministry who, who want their children to come to the foundry. And how many times have I heard them say, I'm going to let go and I'm going to let God, I'm I'm giving them uh, to God. But what they're really saying, listen to me now, what they're really saying is, I am so aggravated, I am so angry, I am so frustrated, I am washing my hands of this situation. See, we've washed our hands of situations, called ourselves giving it to God, when what what we're really saying is, I'm tired of this I'm tired of this thing kicking my hind in. I'm tired of this thing defeating me. I'm tired of, uh, of, of beating my head against this and nothing changing. I'm going to give it to God and I'm going to go do something else. That's not giving it to God. 
You see, surrendering to God does not mean taking your hands off, letting go, and giving Him the will. Surrendering to God means surrendering your will to His will. Surrendering your life to His ways of living. It means to stop doing it your way and putting your hand to the plow of doing it His way. This is what it means to give it to God. This is what it means to surrender it to God. Not let go and let God. You remember, you remember my, my uh, illustration? I, I need help moving, not really, but I need help moving. You show up at my house at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning to help me move, and me and Pam jump in the car and go shopping? I'm not asking you to come help me move. I'm asking you to do it for me. That would be me letting go and letting you. You see? That's not, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Giving it to God for many people is washing their hands of a situation. The attitude is, I'm through with this, I'm giving it to God. What they're really saying is, I'm tired of packing all this stuff up. I'm tired of, of, of the commitment that's needed to, to, to move my house to another location. So I'm going shopping and I'm going to trust God to do it. Then they get back from shopping and when God had moved the house, they're mad at God. Talking about how he let them down. We want to learn from riding. I know I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. We want to learn from riding what can only be learned from plowing. We want to learn from watching what can only be learned from doing. We want to learn in a classroom what can only be learned in real life situations. Now, let me skip down to this. I know I'm about out of time. Let's skip down to this. Did you get anything out of this this morning? Now, in Acts, the eighth chapter, and beginning at verse number 38. Matter of fact, let me just, I'll I'll read some of these verses to you this morning. Acts 38, it says this, so he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Philip baptized this man from Ethiopia. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, if you're not familiar with this particular story, the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip to go take a road out in the middle of the desert, on foot. And because Philip was obedient to just walk out into the middle of the desert without any further instructions, we see that God really smiled on him at the end of his obedience. So he's walking out along the way and he comes across a man who's pulled over on the side of the road who is reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip says to this man from Ethiopia, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I understand it unless somebody explains it to me? And Philip says, permission to come aboard, sir. (laughs) So he climbs up in that... uh, limousine chariot with him and he began he was a high-ranking government official 
from Ethiopia. And so he climbs up in there with him and he explains to him the message of Jesus and, 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 and about salvation. And the Ethiopian receives Jesus and then he says, is there any reason why I can't be baptized in water right now? And there just so happens to be some water there in the desert. And Philip says, absolutely not. And so Philip baptizes him. What a, what a beautiful story. What a wonderful thing. And so as, as he's baptizing him, notice it says, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. He literally disappeared. He was there and then he was gone. And so the, the Ethiopian got in his chariot and went on his way rejoicing. Verse 40, but Philip was found at Azotus, completely different city. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So what happened right here? I know this, you know, may be difficult for some people to believe, but we're talking about God now, right? He can do anything. He literally translated Philip from one place in the desert to another uh, city. And so you thought, you know, Star Trek came up with that themselves. My friend, no, no, they got that out of the Bible. Now, let me, let me show it to you again because this is not the only time we see this in Scripture. John chapter 6 and verse 18. Jesus sent the disciples across the lake. Across, it's the Sea of Galilee, but it's fresh water. Um, so we might call it a really big lake. And we see that Jesus was, stayed behind to pray with his Father. And then the sea, verse 18 says, The sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. They thought it was an omen. A lot of these men were fishermen, and, and, and they, they thought, man, this is a ghost coming to us or something. And, and, they, and they were afraid, thinking that it was, you know, that they were close to death themselves. And Jesus says to them in verse 20, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Immediately. Now, depending on where they were crossing, it could have been anywhere from 8 to 12 miles. We know they were somewhere around halfway or not quite halfway when Jesus uh, entered stage right, walking on the water. But notice when Jesus got in the boat, there was no more rowing across. They immediately were where they were supposed to be. Now, there's one other situation that we see in the Scriptures where this is, has not happened, but the Bible says that it's going to happen. The Bible says that there is coming a day when the trumpet of God will sound, and in the twinkling of an eye, those who are alive and remain on this planet who know God will be gone. Will be gone. I mean like you're sitting there standing by your coworker who doesn't know the Lord and you've told them and told them and told them they need to you know, come to church with you. You're standing there working. They turn around to grab a screwdriver and turn around and you are gone. It's called the rapture of the church. 
in the twinkling of an eye. Now, why have I shown you the two that have already happened and the third that we know God has promised will happen? I'm trying to show you that if, if, if God uh, needs to or chooses to or decides to, He can take a person from one location and move them to another location in, in less than a split second, in less than the twinkling of an eye. He can relocate you from this earth to His presence in heaven, three heavens away. This is the God that we serve. Amen. Which means his children who were enslaved in Egypt, he could have translated them. He could have teleported them. One second, they're making bricks from the swamplands of the Nile River to the next moment, they're standing in the middle of the promised land. Could have done that, right? Yes, could he have done that? Anybody here besides me believe God could have done that? Okay, so the question then is, why didn't he? Was the promised land already theirs? Yes, God said it belonged to them, it was theirs. But there was a process, listen to me now. There was a process involved in them coming out of slavery in Egypt, going through the wilderness, arriving safely at the promised land. There were some things that they needed to learn before they found themselves slap dab in the middle of their destiny, in the middle of their purpose, in the middle of the prosperity and fruitfulness and wealth that God had already freely given to them. The promised land was ready for them, but they were not ready for the promised land. So the journey and the process in getting them out of Egypt and then bringing them through the wilderness into the promised land was something that they needed. There was something that they needed to learn in that process. And I'm not trying to oversimplify this, but I believe you can sum that lesson up in the statement, they needed to learn to trust God. They did not know how to trust God. And they could never survive in the middle of their promised land unless they know how to trust Him. Any more than you or I could uh, survive in our best life if we don't know how to trust God. Now, there are, there are pastors, and I've heard the sermons, you've heard the sermons, and I'm certainly not even trying to get anywhere close to that sermon. You, you, you hear preachers that go crazy with this whole concept of a wilderness experience. You gotta have a wilderness experience. You gotta be out lost and wander around like you're a nomad and don't know nothing, all this other stuff before God can ever get you ready. No, no, listen to me. That's ridiculous. That 40-year journey should have taken them 11 days. The only reason the wilderness was hard, three reasons the wilderness was, was hard. Their disobedience, their fear, and their unwillingness to change. When you look at the judgment of God, the plagues in Egypt, they serve more than one purpose. Those plagues, that was God honoring His covenant with His people. 
If you go back to the terms of the covenant that God made with Abraham. He made that covenant with Abraham and he made that covenant with Abraham's descendants. And this is what God said, among other things. He said, whoever blesses you or your descendants, I will bless. But whoever curses you and your descendants, they're going to have me to deal with. I will curse. And every judgment that God brought against the Egyptians was a judgment, if you will, that the Egyptians had already passed against the Israelites. The water turned to blood. Guess what? The Egyptians did that first. They turned the water to blood with the firstborn, with, not the firstborn, the male children of the Israelites. They killed them and fed them to the alligators. All, all of that. I'm not going to go through all those, all those plagues. All those plagues... Those plagues, but again, see, we look at that as God's judgment against the Egyptians. But have you ever stopped to consider that those plagues were also God's confirmation to the Israelites? Because while all of those things were happening in the land of Egypt, the Bible says the lights were still on in Goshen, where where God's people lived. He was trying to show them that that, that he, his hand was upon them. He was trying to show them that he was taking care of them. He was trying to show them so that they could not just hear it, but they could, what, experience it. Then he brings them out. Then he brings them through the Red Sea. The Bible says that it was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It gets hot and sunny in the desert. The cloud shaded them, kept them cool in the shade during the day. It gets cold at night in the desert. It gets dark at night in the desert. God illuminated their path and kept them warm in the desert. Again, Trusting in God will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart that cannot be opened any other way. Before God ever asked them to believe Him, He tried to teach them to trust Him. How can you confidently and boldly act on something God says if you haven't yet learned to trust the God who's saying it? This is a God who, by the way, in the next generation, He's going to take one of the most fortified cities that exist on planet Earth and tell them to conquer that city without firing a single shot, to walk around it at His instructions. Doesn't make sense, doesn't seem right, doesn't feel safe. How can you act in faith on those words from God if you don't trust the God who's speaking those words? Arriving at the promised land without knowing how to trust God would have been a disaster. You cannot survive in your promised land without knowing how to trust God. The process to get you to your promised land is meant to teach you how to trust Him so you can live in your promised land. Stand with me this morning. If it takes trust to survive... It will take trust to arrive. Simply put, 
Where God wants to take you requires trust in Him. You cannot exist on the level of prosperity, influence, and fruitfulness that God desires for you to live on without trusting Him. Because you cannot exist on that level of prosperity, influence, and fruitfulness without trusting Him. You cannot get to that level of prosperity, influence, and fruitfulness without trusting Him. Are you seeing this? Because it was going to take trust for them to thrive there. It was going to take trust for them to get there. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these men and women this morning. Thank you for the things that you are doing in each of our lives. Father, we do not want to be shallow in our relationship and fellowship with you. We're trying to love you without learning to trust you, Father, will always lead us back to a very shallow relationship with you, just like it will lead us to a very shallow relationship with another human being. Father, thank you this morning for the opportunity that is, prov- that is presented to, the invitation that is uh, before each person that's listening to me right now to take the yoke that Jesus is offering us to learn from him, to learn to do life, to have the experiences with him that will develop and mature within us an unshakable trust in you. Father, I know that there are those who are listening to me right now they have been through some difficult and challenging things this week. Father, help us to stand firm on your word. Help us, Father, to not allow the pressure of the circumstances to push us into places of fear and disobedience and unwillingness to change. Father, help us to put our trust in you even when there are things that we don't understand. And from that, Lord, have the peace of God in our hearts that we do not understand. Father, I thank you this morning that You are protecting this family of faith that we trust you to protect us. We trust you, Father, to lead us. Father, for that one that's listening to me right now that has a very difficult situation in their family that that they have washed their hands of more than once, that they've let go of and let you have it more than once, Father, show us. Show us, Father, what it is that you would have us to do in cooperation with you. Show us, Father, where perhaps our will needs to surrender to your will. And that the promised victory from you, Lord, would be realized in these things. Father, I pray this morning for our country, for our president our Vice President, Lord, our, our Congress, our court system. Forgive us, Father, for being 
critical of our leaders and neglecting to pray for them. Father, we recognize that there's tremendous spiritual warfare surrounding heads of state. And we pray, Father, for your wisdom. We pray, Father, that ministering spirits would surround them. We pray, Father, that your people, and you've got them everywhere. If you had them in Caesar's house, you've got them in Washington, D.C. Father, surround these leaders with godly men and women who will pray for them, encourage them, support them, so that it might be well with you and that the cause of your gospel, Lord, would not be hindered or frustrated. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Praise God. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Have a, have a wonderful week ahead. Tell somebody around you good things coming. Know that you're loved. Amen.